Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free edition of the podcast, where we bring you reviews of new upcoming film releases. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my co-host, Coles. Hello, everybody. Well, Coles, today, unlike in recent weeks, where there seems to have been a pattern or a theme to some of our movies, this week we've got three very different films to talk about. These couldn't actually be more different. We've got a single-location science fiction thriller. We've got a very dramatic film adaptation of a very famous and beloved novel about racial injustice. And then we have Guy Ritchie doing a riff on a heist slash revenge movie. So these are three different films that hopefully one of these is going to fit into almost everybody who's listening's taste in some way or another. So that's our hope. Maybe you'll find something that you're going to enjoy later this weekend and that will make us happy. With that said, we're going to go ahead and start with Oxygen. Oxygen is starring Melanie Laurent of Inglorious Bastards fame, I believe. Matthew Almerich and Malik Zidi. It is directed by Alexander Asia and written by Christy LeBlanc. What's it about? The film tells the story of a young woman who wakes up in a cryogenic pod. She doesn't remember who she is or how she ended up there. As she's running out of oxygen, she must rebuild her memory to find a way out of her nightmare. Okay, Coles, what did you like about this one? It's not easy to do a film where there's one setting and it requires, the story requires one actor to carry the whole film. But Melanie Laurent and the director do a good job of keeping your attention, increasing the suspense every minute, and keeping you in confusion to what's going on. You almost feel that you are the character where you just don't know what's happening. How did you find yourself in this situation? Buried Alive films are just claustrophobic and they're unsettling. They're unsettling because, I mean, who who would enjoy knowing that you're deep somewhere and not able to get out on your own accord? You lose that sense of control. And to know that you're also still alive to experience it, I mean, it, it's terrible. It's, it's a nightmare. And this film feels like a nightmare, and it does that more effectively than many horror films out there. And I know that you were able to watch it with the English track, but I appreciate that this film was foreign, you know, having to read some subtitles, and, you know, it's a French film, and I don't see too many of those, and I was glad to get some experience with that. Yeah, one thing about it being a French film is that the majority of French films I've seen in my life are either musicals or mm. extremely dramatic uh, French New Wave type pictures, right? So mm -hmm. to see a thriller like this, a sci-fi thriller no, nonetheless, coming out of France, it is a pretty awesome thing. I didn't intentionally watch it with subtitles, lest people like start picking up their pitchforks and like coming for me, okay? So Netflix, in case you're unaware, listeners, Coles didn't know this until I told him. Netflix <laughs> has a feature where most of their more recent foreign films seem to have English tracks. And if you have it enabled, you wouldn't even know that. This happened to me earlier this year when I was watching the absolute excellent space epic from South Korea called Space Sweepers. 
I was watching it, and I could tell. I was like, man, this kind of feels like a dub a little bit. It's a little off. And my buddy was like, no, I watched it in Korean. Uh, it, they actually have a Japanese track, a Chinese track. They had like numerous tracks if you go to the audio details, and it's very similar for Oxygen. So mine just defaulted to English, and the voices seemed to line up and work, so I didn't even notice until you told me you listened to it or watched it in French. I actually wondered when I fired it up. I was like, isn't this supposed to be French? Oh, I guess she speaks English. <laughs> and she sounds pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, that's not what it was. It's not bad. I would agree. Once I was made aware of it, I could see the difference in the voice and the, the lips moving. And I, I mean, I think I love that it's an option is my bottom line, because I'm not a purist. I will say that if you enjoy subtitles, then that's probably the best way to enjoy this film. It's the purest, most, you know, uh, honest way that the director intended. That being said, I'm all about accessibility, whether it's in movies or video games. Give more people more ways to access the content. And if you can watch it and enjoy it in English, and that's the only way you're going to watch it, then just watch it, you know? Um, I'd rather you do that than not. Like you, I absolutely love the setting. And it is, I made a reductive joke on Letterboxd. I said, it's buried, <laughs> the Ryan Reynolds movie, except <laughs> it's got a female protagonist, it's science fiction, and HAL 9000 is inside the box. <laughs> and... That's really what this is, is, you know, it takes place almost entirely in this cryogenic pod that she is stuck in. And it reminds me of Buried, where Ron Reynolds is in this box, literally under the ground. The difference being is in that film, he is trying to accomplish everything on his own. So he's learning about his situation and trying to survive. And, and he has no connection to the outside world. Whereas this HAL 9000 or Gertie... Or, or Stim from Upgrade is another comparative kind of voice that is the AI for this pod is, is working with her to, and well, is interacting with her <laughs> to help her solve and try as she's working through these problems. And then there's other times in this film where she also has outside influence. It doesn't make it better or worse, just for comparison, uh, if you're thinking about these two. I thought this, Production design of this was great. It's minimalistic, but it feels extremely futuristic. It's really slick. The AI depiction of this character, it's like a, a blue ring that then like projects holographic images and can bring up old video and pictures and stuff like that. I, I thought it was really just an aesthetically pleasing eye candy, personally. I was going to praise her performance. I, I I will still do that, even though I didn't get to hear her actual voice. I'm sure it was probably better than what I even heard. But mannerism-wise, I, I know she did a phenomenal job, Laurent, carrying the movie. And you've got to have that, right? Like, if you're going to, like you said earlier, if you're going to carry this movie by yourself, it, it rests on her shoulders. And I think that the pair of them did a really impressive job. And it, it really does, it moves at a good pace, I think. It doesn't linger. It's, uh, you know, interesting and mysterious all the way throughout. And I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit. Was there anything that you kind of found lacking about this? Only thing comes lacking is that the story, it will introduce new elements that kind of give um, a little light to what exactly the mystery is. 
and eventually the climax, but they don't expound upon those elements. Like, they're kind of just like, hey, this is what's going on, and then boom, done. Like, then we just go straight back to the pod, which, hey, the movie takes place in the pod, I understand. That is going to be the meat of your story. But if you're going to introduce certain elements that are supposed to help us aid in what's going on, then it'll be in your best ability to kind of stretch that out a little bit more. But otherwise than that, I couldn't find too much that was a negative for this film. I think that this is a pretty good film, and that's the best that you can ask for. Yeah, I think my negatives on this one revolve around the story as well, and it's it's not that it's bad. It's mm. just, I don't know, there's something that is a little bit lacking in it for me. I like where it ends up, but there's parts of getting there feel like we're solving two different puzzles at the same time. Yeah. One is the character and kind of trying to understand who she is. And the other is trying to get out of the situation. Right. And she's trying to work on these things simultaneously. And so it's full of twists and turns and, some of them I liked more than others, I guess I will say. It didn't have a major hook that left it ingrained in my brain in the way that many of my favorite sci-fi films do. And there are some elements of this that I think have been done in other films previously, which is not surprising in the genre, but those films I like a lot better. <laughs> and so even though this one kind of puts several of those things together into a very good movie, I've seen each of the elements in a better way individually in another film. So it just kind of had that hanging over it for me and, and didn't end up being something that blew me away, but was definitely one that I was glad we took a flyer on. This is not, you know, something that's getting a lot of promotion out there. Yeah. And we took a chance. We we're like, oh, hey, there's this French movie coming out on Netflix and it's a sci-fi. We like sci-fi. So uh, why not? Let's let's go for it. And, you know, we were rewarded for that, in my opinion. I would definitely say I'm feeling it. I would say it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, it's streaming on Netflix on May 12th. So two weeks from the release of this pod, this one will be out. You know, mark your calendars or go to Netflix and put it, you know, click to watch or whatever the button is that puts it in your queue so that once it's available, it pops up. And, you know, give this one a viewing. I think it's definitely worth it for sci-fi fans. I'm feeling it as well. I mean, you can it's right there on Netflix. This isn't something you have to go to the movie theater and pay some money, or that would be a different story. So just pop it up on your Netflix, put it into the queue, leave it there, you know, watch it the instant it comes out, do whatever. I think that this is a quality thriller. All right, well, there you have it. So, yeah, May 12th, Netflix for Oxygen. The next film we're going to discuss is also an upcoming Netflix picture. This one is called Monster. Kales is shaking his head. That's got me worried. Okay. Stars Kelvin Harrison Jr., Jennifer Hudson, Jeffrey Wright, Jarrell Jerome, Jennifer L., Raheem Myers, Nas, also known as Nasir Jones, or I guess it's Nasir Jones, also known as Nas, Tim Blake Nelson, and John David Washington. Uh, one of the people I just named, or did I name him? ASAP Rocky? Is he one of these people? Yeah, he's Rakeem Myers. That's Rakeem, okay, that makes, oh, Rocky, Rocky, I, 
I get it now. Ah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this film is like double rapper power. It is directed by Anthony Madler. It is written by Rada Blank, Cole Wiley, and Janice Schaefer, and it is based on the beloved novel, also called Monster, by Walter Dean Myers. What is it about? It is the story of Steve Harmon, a 17-year-old honor student whose world comes crashing down around him when he's charged with felony murder. The film follows his dramatic journey from a smart, likable film student from Harlem, attending an elite high school, through a complex legal battle that could leave him spending the rest of his life in prison. We'll start with you. I know you're coming at this from a different perspective than me, which makes me excited to hear your thoughts because I believe you've read the book. Is that right? Yes. So I mean, it was a favorite of mine in middle school. Uh oh, that's never good when a movie comes out on that. <laughs> but when you hear it was a favorite book of mine, then the movie automatically is mm-hmm. it's got to yeah. reach. Yeah, the expectations are probably unfair. But why don't you tell us what you liked about it? The collection of actors that this film carries i mean it's an impressive list i mean you have these guys some of these guys before they even made their big breaks i mean this is a kevin harrison before wave came out this is a john david washington before he was the protagonist <laughs> dude john, this is john david washington yes and before the spike yeah, lee film. What, wait what before black class it was actually very strange <laughs> seeing him in this role it was it, it, the closest thing I could compare it to is his character in Ballers, the TV mm-hmm. show, which which was also kind of his first real bigger acting gig. But yeah, man, I mean, this was filmed in 2017. Wow. It it actually premiered in January of 2018 at Sundance, and then it got bought by Netflix, went through a name change, and it took three years to get mm-hmm. it out, which is an interesting production story. But I agree, seeing... Seeing John David Washington was like a what moment? Because he's like a very minor character in this movie, and that's not what you would expect from his name. Yes, you know, you get Jarrell, Jerome, you know, this is after he does Moonlight, this is before he does When They See Us, so it was great seeing these actors before, like, you know, they became the household names they are now. And then you get the double rapper power, you get ASAP Rocking, you get Nas, I mean, two of the best lyricists out there right now, even though... I'll get into really my dislikes about what I hated about the A$AP Rocky and the Nas character. It was great seeing these guys, you know, seeing a rapper being an actor is always great for me because sometimes most rappers can't pull off both jobs, but A$AP Rocky and Nas, they can pull off both jobs if they get a better movie to be around, but that would be in the dislikes. Also, I love that it brings up these themes. It brings up the subject of labeling theory, and labeling theory is where if a person believes they are labeled to be something, then they will start to adhere to the behaviors and the movements of that character. And so the title of this film is Monster. And in the book, they used to t- they talk about how when, you know, black kids, when they hear that they're being called monsters or they hear that they'd be called super predators, it gives them just a low self-esteem. It brings into their mind like, well, these people la- are labeling me like this. Why? It psychologically is almost like they want to become this in order to like prove the people right or is a a label that they can't shake off that follows them everywhere no matter what even if they are a guy like steve Harmon, who in this film this guy just wants to make movies he he's very creative he's an artist he's going to one of the top schools in new york but because of his affiliation and him being singled out as a guy who did this felony murder crime all that goes out of the window. You see throughout the film that the jury, they'll have these edits where the jury are just like looking at them in their eyes. Sometimes it looks like 
they're already prejudging him before they even know this guy. And the thesis of the film is that we, as a society, we prejudge these black kids. We prejudge them to be this and that because maybe they come from a bad neighborhood or maybe they affiliate with somebody who is doing bad things, but it's not the full picture. And while the film, I feel, kind of goes against that message, that's what I see as intent. And I can admire intent of the message. That's fair. You know, it's an interesting movie for sure to be coming out at this time, especially because the book was written so long ago, way back, right? Yeah, I think, you know, in the early 2000s, maybe in the late 90s was kind of before its time, honestly, before this was on the public's mind in the way that it is now. This miscarriage of justice that has gone on in the country for decades and centuries of people being pro, uh, not pro- profiled to the point of being put into prison for things that they did not do. Um, and from that aspect, just seeing that play out in a cinematic kind of dramatic way is definitely powerful still, I think, because Kelvin Harrison Jr. is a freaking star, period. And like you said, it's before Loose, it's before Waves. I think he is the best part of everything he's been in, really. And I haven't loved, I have not yet felt like he has matched up with the perfect director to, to make a, a, an absolute masterpiece, but I know it's coming. I think he is a next wave superstar, honestly. I, I think he's incredible and he carries this movie, the emotion that he is able to show us in his acting is what keeps this just absolute fire. Um, There are these courtroom dramatic scenes. Um, Basically the film flashes back. So it's, it's got this neat kind of stylistic approach where he is narrating at times and he is sort of telling the story of what is happening to him in real time. And it's because he's a filmmaker, right? He's like essentially, explaining to the audience as if he was reading a script of of a scene that is taking place. I enjoyed it more than I didn't, and I thought that was a cool approach. Um, I thought the film was really edited well, the way that we moved back and forth from the courtroom to flashbacks where we would learn about Steve and his filmmaking passion. We would see him with his girlfriend. We would see him with his parents. And it it's a little manipulative because obviously it's showing us you know, as he's on trial, we're learning that he is, oh, he's a good kid. Oh, he's a good kid. Oh, he's a good kid. Um, and, and then I'll have some kind of opposite thoughts about that same thing. But I did enjoy mostly the stylistic choices of the way that it was presented. I thought that the supporting cast was fairly good across the board. Jeffrey Wright in particular stands out to me. I've just always been a fan of his no matter what he does and this was a very strongly different role for him as a as a parent and just he's not on screen a lot of time coalesce but like he was burned in my brain and in my memory because of how much emotion he has to evoke as a father watching his son get arrested And, and like that that was hard for me just to I've never had to deal with that. I will I will probably never have to consider that. And I understand that people like yourself grow up 
having the talk and having to wonder if this is going to happen to you or what what do you do in the case that the police arrest you? I've never had that talk. You know what I mean? And so it was hard for me to watch that and see these, this family go through something like that. I think that like you just and, and I'm coming to this from never having read the book as well. I think that the idea of this is really strong. The idea of the story, the idea of your perspective on any given situation is different than somebody else's perspective. And so somewhere in there is the truth. And you have to kind of learn to give checks and balances to what your initial thoughts are and why you think a certain way. To transition real quick, I will say my problem, biggest problem with it, is that the film sets up the idea of subjective truth. And subjective truth, it actually, the film actually literally name drops Rashomon. Okay. So it shows them in a film class playing Rashomon, which is the famous Akira Kurosawa movie. My favorite Akira Kurosawa movie, which is known for its multiple threaded plot lines about the same incident where you have all these different characters who are telling different stories about the same crime and you don't know who to believe and who's telling the truth. And it's all about like them seeing it differently kind of thing. And so when you do that and you use and name check a better, far better movie than the one that you are trying to replicate, it's a bad sign, I think. And this idea of subjective truth for me, it doesn't quite land in the way they want because I don't think that there is a subjective truth. There is really one, and the movie gets to this point at the end. Only one thing happened. Now, yes, maybe people saw it differently. Maybe people had different perspectives. But that doesn't make it their truth. It just makes it their perspective. And their perspective was flawed because they didn't have full information. That doesn't change the truth of what was being done and the intent behind what was being done. And so the movie never really says that. And it kind of ends in this way that doesn't, like, lock down any sort of powerful message for me, to be honest. The whole movie, man, I never doubted Steve. Like, he's presented to us as a character who's innocent from the start. And I'm not going to say how he ends up, because that would be a spoiler. Obviously, it's a court trial. But he's presented to us in a certain way. And so I never went through the film questioning that belief. And I never questioned my perspective of the events of the court. And I think it wanted me to. And so I, I have to say it's kind of a failure in what it intended to evoke for me. Uh, so that that's my biggest, you know, negative for this one is a really good idea. I just don't think the execution lived up to the concept here. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious. It makes me want to read the book because I'm guessing, obviously, the execution is probably a lot better. There are so many moments in this film where have you ever seen the film Don't Be a Menace in South Central while drinking your juice in the hood? Years and years and years ago. Yes. <laughs> OK, so there was scenes in those films where it was obvious that the characters were trying to, to bring up. They were trying to like talk seriously to the audience. They were trying to tell you life lessons. And Keith Irwins would come out of nowhere and be like, message, and then leave out of the frame. There are so many message moments in these films where it's easily staged up to be like this big moment. Like, oh, Steve is getting some words of wisdom from this guy. Like, 
the character that Nas plays, he literally is only there to be a mentor. He literally is only there to be the enlightened prisoner. You know, he's wearing the glasses. He has only two scenes where he literally is just teaching him stuff about, hey, they're going to treat you like you're black. Wait, that's Nas? They're going to treat you. The guy with the glasses? That was not Nas. No. That's no. Nas. That's Nas. Get out of here. <laughs> but literally, it's like, so you only have Nas in here, but you don't give him a full character. You just have him just drop these whole, like, inspirational passages, and then he's gone. And there's another thing that I don't like. The, sto- the film seems to be fighting against itself. So it wants to paint a black, a young black kid as not being a monster, but you know how it does that? By treating the other black characters in the film as monsters. I mean, there's literally a scene in the courtroom where the public defender who is defending Steve, she's like, no, Steve is not a monster, but the people who are testifying, they are the monsters. So it's like, okay, so is Steve supposed to be the exceptional Negro? Is he supposed to be that archetype? Like Calvin Candy and Django Unchained, let's say that there's that one Negro that pops about 10,000. Like it felt like that Steve was the one out of 10,000 Negro and everybody else was just bad. A$AP Rocky's character, he's just a dude that just wants to rob stores and he just wants to flash money and be all about the gangster life. Where's his, where's his humanity? Where's John David Washington? His, his character's name is Bobo. Bobo. And literally all he does, outside of being a snitch in the courtroom, he just stands there and looks like he's on drugs the whole time. I was like, is this what John David wanted to do? Or is this what his character's supposed to be? Like, he's just a menacing figure with no personality. Nothing at all. And Steve is just built up to be just this innocent guy, like you said. Like, he's innocent. You already know what's going to happen by the end. You like, okay, this guy is the hero, but he's the hero at the expense of everybody else. And I think it's sickening that we keep getting these black stories where we're supposed to follow one character, but oh no, he's getting pulled in by these other characters who are in like bad circumstances and he has to get away from them. He has to dissolve himself of being with them. We can't help these people. We just got to help this one guy. Like, no, the film is called Monster because the book lays it out. It tells you that all black kids have to face this. We have to face these pre prejudgments. We have to face prejudice. We have to face racism going out in the world each day. We're seen not as kids, but as adults, even when we're 13, when we're doing just reckless stuff like kids do. The book makes it clear that black kids, they, they shouldn't be seen as this. We should be seen as normal kids. But in this film, what it does, it decides to only do that for one character, but everybody else is a lost cause. They're just bad people, and they don't need to be helped. They need to be thrown in jail and locked away and throw away the key. That's that's pretty much what this film's message came down to me. And it was very disappointing and very disheartening to see. And I think the real tragedy of the film is that there is good intentions. This film wants to do good, but just like another film, like the film that won the Oscar this year for Best Short Film, Two Distant Strangers, you have good intentions, but your execution and your passion are in the wrong place. And this represents a big missed opportunity, something that could something that could have been a rallying cry for the Black Lives Matter movement, something that you could show to a young kid, be like, hey, let me show you a film that's going to teach you something about how they look at us, like something like that. But this film doesn't do that. It's essentially, it's surface level, doesn't go deep into its themes. The only way it goes deep is if, like me, you're reading stuff on the outside and you know all about what this film is bringing up. That's the only way you're really going to get any complexity. Outside of that, this film is simple, it's generic, it's a misuse of its ensemble cast, and 
I never want to see it again. Wow. <laughs> All right, then. I mean, I didn't dislike it that much, folks. I actually kind of liked it, but like definitely didn't love it. So uh, I'll give you that. I I do think that it's got it's got issues. I mean, you know, you have one lawyer who is white and is clearly just wanting to see everybody go to jail because they're a young black kid. And he's and he even says it at multiple times. Like he just wants the conviction. Like, he doesn't care about the truth. And then you have this other lawyer played by Jennifer Earl, who is defending Steve Harmon. And so it's kind of interesting because you simultaneously have a movie that gives you a white villain and also a white savior to a, to an extent. <laughs> it tries to, it like almost plays with both of those tropes. And it's, it's frustrating because Steve gets used as, you know, it's not like he has any agency in this movie at all. It's just, it's all about him, but he doesn't have any control over anything um, whatsoever. And it's just, yeah, it, it, again, yeah, I'm, I'll leave it with what you just said. Um, that was pretty passionate. So, are you feeling it? I <laughs> know, I'm guessing. You're saying don't watch this. Um, you know that gift that you always post on Facebook when you see that someone's praising the film that you that you are not fancy of and you get that, that garbage emoji? That's what <laughs> yeah. it is with this film. This film... Take it to the trash. <laughs> garbage. Get this film. Read the book. All right. I'm going to read the book because... Not only you, but my ex-wife both have chimed in on Facebook and said it was a phenomenal book. So I, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to say follow Kalesa's recommendation because I don't want to counter what he's saying. It's not worth it for me to fight for this movie. That basically is what I'll tell you. Uh, if you do want to watch this, though, it is streaming on Netflix this weekend on May the 7th. And that is where you can find it. Well, I saved kind of what I was hoping would end up being the best for last. So I think that that's the way this is going to play out. And that is the movie Wrath of Man. This stars Jason Statham, Holt McCollany, Jeffrey Donovan, Josh Hartnett. Yes, that's right. Josh Hartnett. You heard me. Laz Alonzo, Raul Castillo, Diobia Oparai with Eddie Marson and Scott Eastwood. It's directed and written by Guy Ritchie with co-writers Ivan Atkinson and Marn Davies. And it is based upon the film Les Convoyeurs or Cash Truck in English. It is a 2004 French film. What's it about? A mysterious and wild-eyed new cash truck security guard surprises his co-workers during a heist in which he unexpectedly unleashes precision skills. The crew is left wondering who he is and where he came from. Soon, the marksman's ultimate motive becomes clear as he takes dramatic and irrevocable steps to settle a score. I am going to kick us off here first because... This is one of my favorite films of the year. I absolutely love it. I think it is a banger, and it is a film that is right in the sweet spot for a certain type of subgenre that I enjoy. I'm going to tell you right now, it is basically as if Guy Ritchie sat down and watched a Michael Mann marathon and said to himself, hmm, I can do that. If you love the movie Den of Thieves, this is going to be a movie for you. And if you don't, well, you might want to probably pass on this. It starts off right off the bat with this incredible heist opening and a view of a camera inside of a cash truck as it's driving out for its route and it gets held up. And the camera is stuck behind the 
scene. So it's like the camera's in the back of the truck. So you don't get to see this whole picture of everything that's going down. You get pieces of it. It's static. And it's extremely propulsive. It is extremely energetic. And from there, the film progresses into this just really interesting blend of heist movie and revenge thriller. The first act in particular, I think, is legitimately phenomenal. Like, I I don't want to come up from air during the first act. I am 100% locked in. There's, like, nothing I didn't like about it. I thought it was just just on point, right? And it's kind of introducing you to the Statham character, who is the one that's out for revenge, and it's getting you into his, you know, he's putting himself in the place to seek this revenge. We then start to move into a second and a third act that begins to give us these different structures for the film. And that's something I really, really, really enjoyed is we watch that same heist from the beginning multiple times throughout the movie, but we see it from all different perspectives. And it's kind of interesting talking about it after Monster, actually, and how it looks different. So we, we get to piece the information together. It's like, you know, a puzzle box kind of film where you don't have all the information you need to make the right in, informed decision. But then by the end, you're like, OK, I get what happened now from all these different sides of it. So I really enjoyed the structure, how it bounces around. It shows us maybe a villain. And then in the second and third act, it kind of explains who the villains are and we get to know them and it builds into this. Really, for me, it's a satisfying conclusion. Um, I think that the cast here is great. I think it's one of Jason Satham's best roles. He's very deadpan, um, very serious, I should say. He doesn't do the deadpan comedy that he typically does. This is not filled with your typical Guy Ritchie one-liners. You know, there's a couple lines of dialogue in there. It's very overly macho, you know, to the point where most Guy Ritchie films like this are and it can be turned off to people, and I understand that. I think it fits within the realm of the kind of characters that we're dealing with. It's menacing. It is sleazy <laughs> to a T. Like, there's no real heroes here. And I thought that was interesting and kind of a fun exploration. Like, the Statham character's not a hero. He's not even really an anti-hero, to be honest, once you get to know him. And, you know... It just, it strips out Guy Ritchie's usual flair. There's not a lot of flashiness in this. It's just a propulsive, just heavy, dark story. And, and I thought it was really great. I've watched it twice now because I was so into it and I wanted to see if it would hold up. And, and I do have some negatives um, to express. It's not perfect. That's for sure. But I really appreciate the fact that it does not F around. It just gets right into it and it goes all the way from start to finish. And and I liked the tightness of the story. Oh, and I like the supporting cast. Sorry, I was on that point and I got distracted talking about Statham. But the supporting cast to a man and to a woman, I think, is really good in all of their different roles. Josh Hartnett in particular stood out to me. He's playing like a, a baby faced, just... Like he, he's not like in another, you know, world, he might have kind of been the star of this movie, you know, 15 years, 10 years ago or something, but he's not that character. And I think it's a good 
change of what you expect from him and what you know of him. You know, maybe if you think back to like Black Hawk Down or something and then you see him in this and he's kind of more of a whiny little babyish type of character. It's a fun role for him. And Scott Eastwood, I really, really enjoyed as well. I think he is just creepy and gross and he wears it like a glove. And then Hulk McElhaney, McElhaney, I'll never get his last name right, but he plays a character named Bullet who is sort of like a mentor uh, at the cash truck company who brings Jason Satham's character along and teaches him things. And I thought he was fantastic all the way throughout the film. It was one of the first times I remember him in a movie. I must not have noticed him before, but it makes me want to seek out more of his films because I enjoy his performance so much. All right. I'll stop ra- raving about this for a minute. What did, what did you like about it? The nonlinear storytelling that goes on and takes place in the first two thirds of this film is entertaining and fun i really love that in the beginning you're set up with this character statham's character and you see that there is something more than meets the eye you know he's not just a regular guy who's coming in for a job you know to work for armored truck like there's there's other reasons there's other motivations but we as the audience we're just guessing at this point we're just like is he a cop is he a vigilante is he just a guy a, a mole or anything like i love that part of the film where you know you have the guessing game and then the pieces start to fall and then you start to understand where the story is going and you're like hell yeah you're on board i mean the action is versal is um visceral it's fun it has like a john wick feel especially with the way Statham, the gunfights are staged and choreographed i really love the villains in this film you know oftentimes we get these revenge films and the protagonist is the guy that you you are most interested in but the villains are just one note they're kind of flimsy. They really don't. They really don't have any dimensions to. But I really love the villains in this film, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything. But you know, the villains are mostly just these military veterans who are feeling like they have fought for their country and they're not getting repayment for it. And so you know what? They have to turn to other means in order to feel that honor that they lost and the prestige that they used to have when they were out in the battlefield. You know, it speaks to. How we as a country, how all over the world, we treat these guys who come back from war. We treat them as heroes, but we don't really give them anything. We don't give them, like, good jobs. We don't give them compensation. We don't give them the respect that they may deserve. And that's not me justifying what these villains do in the film, but I could see, from a viewpoint, what would make them go and want to go into the criminal life. And Statham, he's great in this. He's Typical badass, you know, this guy, I feel like he's always in shape. Like, <laughs> he's just a guy who could, like, go out right now and just run 20 miles without a sweat. I mean, he, I mean, many people can accuse him of being a, a guy who's just steely and stoic and, you know, not much personality, but that's who he's been his whole career, and it works for him. And it, it works for him in this film. And I love that there was a random sighting of Post Malone in this film, in the <laughs> in the early parts of the film. I was like, oh, that's Post Malone right there. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic moment. Yeah, fantastic moment. And also, I love the, you know, there's a couple of twists in this film where you're not expecting for these certain characters to be working on this side, and you're not expecting these characters to be the inside man of a job. Like, it's it's great. It's, it's, it's fun storytelling. But then that leads into my negatives, which I hope you don't mind, I'll start it off. I feel that the last third of this film really loses its gas uh it turns away from being just like entertaining crime heist romp 
revenge tale, and it goes straight into like already done territory. You know, we it's like people seeing revenge films and then just taking the formula and they put it right here in this last third and it loses its variety. It loses it loses the dynamic feel that it had to it and it was on its way to be one of my favorite movies of the year, like you feel. But the last third, it, it blows a 28-3 lead, in my opinion. And it doesn't finish strong. <laughs> and yes, Statham, he's, not, he's, he's a character. He's not built up to be a guy you are really cheering for because, I mean, he just does some savage things in this film. All in the name of figuring out what who has done him wrong. But at the same time, it's like a guy that you you really just feel kind of perplexed by and it's like um well why should we following him why should i really like want him to get revenge you know and also some of the some of the choices that richie makes some of them will hit and other times they'll miss i know that many people are going to be in love with the johnny cash needle drop in this film but just the way that it's used and just the way it has that edm techno backdrop (laughs) um supporting music on it it just feels kind of cringe and you know they use it in a scene where a guy is getting suffocated as guilty as charged i loved it (laughs) i i thought it went on too long though i thought that if they would have just hit the first two lines of the song instead of like trying to play out the whole song i think you know because the first two with the deep bass drops as they're going into the action like leading into it i think it was perfect and then they kept it going during the assault parts and i was just like okay now you're really just kind of going too far yeah, I, I was like, I was wondering, like, is this song just ever going to turn off? Like, w- what's going on here? And also, this is not really a criticism, but I can see it being a criticism for other people. There is some brutal violence in this film. Like, there are people doing bad things in this film, and not just the typical bad things you see in a hero or a villain or action film. Like, there is, like, some great area <laughs> things going on in here in this film, and I know a lot of people are not going to like it. And a lot of people are not going to like its hyper-masculine energy. I was down for it because it reminded me of films like the John Wick films. It reminded me of a film like Predator. It reminded me of like just those old Clint Eastwood films, which is something that my girlfriend noted. So a lot of people are going to be on the side for that. But I can understand people who are going to criticize as being a part of toxic masculinity and everything and that it takes a little bit glee in its violence. But hey, that's Guy Ritchie's style and I really have no problem with it, but I could see it being an issue for other people. Outside of that, the, some of the background effects sometimes in the um, in the shots of certain characters look kind of poor. Like I know towards the end, uh, there's a background shot where we're in this house with two people and the room is darkly lit and it kind of looks just very, uh, very uninspiring. Um, some of the camera choices are not up to my liking, especially the use of the mini zoom in certain parts. And but that's pretty much it. I still had a lot of fun with this film, but uh, I just wish that the ending just hit so much stronger for me, and it would have been a top five this year, and it sucks. <laughs> no, I, I know I know what that feeling is like. I get it. And, you know, to the toxic masculinity point, I agree. It's going to be a turnoff for some people. I, I would urge anyone who blames a movie for that to think about the context, because what you're seeing in this film Yes, it's toxic masculinity. It is not praising toxic masculinity. These characters are not, like I said, like we both said, they're not people we're rooting for. We're watching, (laughs) we're essentially watching bad people do things to bad people. Like, you know what I mean? And so they're kind of all assholes (laughs) in their own way. 
It's not like it's saying, hey, yo, rah, rah, this is how you should act. It's displaying that as a negative trait. And I think that's different when we think about how things are displayed in film. Sometimes we can get hung up on what it shows us without thinking about what its point is. Great point. But, but like you, I would agree. So it, it does fall flatter than I wanted it to. And again, going back to that Den of Thieves comparison, when when Den of Thieves is building to the end, and, and when most heist films are building to their final heist, the heist itself is intricate. It is interesting. It is shown to you in a way that is almost mysterious and revealing and shocking. And it becomes the big, big single set piece that, that everything has built to. This film, the, the better set piece is almost like the first heist. And then the problem is like one of the best Jason Statham moments of the movie they show in the trailer where he's going crazy shooting a bunch of guys with great precision. The ending of the film, the heist itself is boring AF. Like it is <laughs> money on one side of a wall. Guys in body armor with machine guns on the other side of the wall. And that's it. Like, there's no, like, I mean, you can see the money. They can see the money. Like, there's not, it's just a shootout, essentially. And it's not even interestingly shot shootout. And so it does kind of fall a little bit flat. What saved it from being completely bad to me in the third, in that final moments is that while the heist is going on, we are cutting and editing is doing a great job of cutting back to showing us the plan of how it's made. So while one character is talking about how, you know, we have eight minutes until SWAT comes, he'll be saying that and you'll be see, you'll first see them, you know, in, they're rolling up into a, you know, a warehouse or wherever, and they'll be talking about the plan. And then this scene will cut and it will show us them back in the hideout or whatever with him pushing, you know, toy cars along to show what the plan is. And there's, you know, moments where it cuts back and it shows them practicing and doing their recon and working with this intricately designed, you know, inner space that they're practicing the layout of what the, the location that they're doing the heist. That stuff was interesting to me from a camera work perspective and, and the way the film was put together. That saved it from being really bad. But like, but like you said, it was a letdown any way, shape or form. Unfortunately, it did not go out on the high with the heist. That is my mm-hmm. biggest um, kind of negative as well. It's a little undercooked there and just doesn't, if, if it just needed to be a little bit of a bigger, more interesting deal. One of the things you noted earlier is also sort of a dislike for me. And that is the fact that these guys are military members. It's not much of a spoiler, but, but it, the, it, it's an overdone trope. And as a guy who was in the military, no, I wasn't in, you know, combat in Afghanistan like so many soldiers were. And I understand the trauma, but so many movies like to make villains out of former soldiers as a way of trying to somehow make social commentary on the fact that America created these warriors who had a thirst for blood and now that we haven't taken care of them, they're going to take matters into their own hand and be awful, evil people. And again, like, I don't think I'd mind it if it wasn't something that was done so often. But mm-hmm. it comes up a lot. And, and and they play it well. The characters themselves are fine. There's a couple of really bad 
overdramatic Guy Ritchie mm-hmm. scenes. There's one that zooms in on Laz Alonzo and he's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, he's like, you know, boredom is worse than bullets or something. I don't remember what he says, but it was, it's a really bad line and just. It, yeah, I got it. It says right here that um, boredom does more damage than bullets. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's very bad. You know, like the slow pan zoom into the character sitting there growling at the camera. And I'm just like, oh, oh. So, but there, luckily there's not a lot of that. There's like one or two scenes like that. Um, and otherwise, you know, I like the, I agree. I like the group though. I like the dynamic of the group and the way that they fall into the situation that they find themselves into and ultimately, you know, how it, how their story ends up. So overall, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely like it and I agree with you. I think it could have had a better ending. Um, so this is in theaters right now. What are you thinking? Are you saying go see it in the theater, wait for it to come out on home video, or skip it? I would go see it in the theater, especially if you're a Guy Ritchie fan and you love, you know, hyper masculine action films. Then this is your this is your jam right here. I would say go see it in the theater. I, I would as well. I'm tempted to go see it in the theater myself, even though I've seen it two times at home because I really do feel that the film has the kind of visual interestingness that's not a word but it's got a it's got a visual quality that i enjoy and it's just so propulsive i think the score it's not like a wonderful unique score that you're going to put on in the background and listen to at home but it is the perfect powerful propulsive moving score for the action that we see and i think it would sound really good in a big dolby you know theater as well so and i just love these kind of movies so i absolutely say go see it in a theater if you have any sort of interest well that's it for us this time on ff plus three films three very different films we hope that maybe one of them piqued your interest Colesse probably hopes that that's not monster and we would love <laughs> to hear what you think if you do see these films so you can hit us up on Twitter at Feelin' Film, or you can join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link to that in the show notes. We will be back soon, and until then, keep Feelin' Film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive and keep feeling film.